Hello and welcome back to Cinema Wellman. I'm your host, David. And today, uh, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see that we've decorated the uh, set with uh, all Best Picture nominees and or winners uh, from the Cinema Wellman vault because uh, we're going to do a Best Picture rundown today. I'm going to take you through all 10 Best Picture nominees this year and give you my two cents and sometimes more about each film. To begin, I think one of the worst things the Academy ever did was expanding the Best Picture category to include up to 10 films. They said up to, and yet they almost give us 10 all the time. Uh, it was perfectly fine at five. Uh, they just added the other five to fatten everyone's wallets at the expense of art. Since this expansion started in 2010, there have been an average of nine Best Picture nominees per year, and that is still way too many. Adding these extra films to the mix has resulted in some awful movies being nominated. Extremely loud and incredibly close, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, The Irishman, and the inclusion of decent, but not best picture-worthy movies like American Hustle, Boyhood, and Licorice Pizza. Not bad movies, but they shouldn't be considered for best picture of the year. The Academy sucks for doing that, and they will never be forgiven. That being said... There are 10 nominees once again this year, and I will get over it, and I'll deal with it. Um, I've never claimed to know any more than anyone else when it comes to movies. I just watch a lot of them because that's what I like to do. Uh, I like what I like, and that's about it. You're more than free to like what you like, of course. It is all good at Cinema Wellman. Keeping that in mind, here are the 10 movies nominated for Best Picture this year, ranked in order by my enjoyment only. This is by no means a prediction. I gave up on predicting the Oscars decades ago because they often have their collective heads straight up their collective arses, as they would say in, in a Sharon. This order, this ranking, solely based on my enjoyment of the films. For each film, I've added what I liked and what I disliked about them. My advice to you, as always, is to watch them all yourself, make up your own mind, uh, be warned that watching all 10 of these movies will cost you an entire day of your life. 1,442 minutes in total, which is just a tad two minutes over 24 hours exactly. There aren't many cinematic stories that need more than two and a half hours to tell, and yet we continue to be inundated with them this year. Um, I'm not sure you're making accessible films when it comes to films that long, and when it takes you that long to tell the story, but then again, that's why I'm sitting in my basement <laughs> and, and giving you this content. Uh, as always, what follows is, well, you know, it's like my opinion, man. Let's start with number 10, Avatar, The Way of Water, which earned a total of four nominations. Um, this is the second of oh, five planned Avatar movies. And it picks up where the first one left off, doesn't it? I, I don't know. The first one was a snoozer, and I forgot it as soon as it was over. This story, per IMDb's synopsis, is as follows. Jake Sully must work with Neytiri and the army of the Navi race to protect their home. Wasn't that the plot of the first one? Oh, sorry there. All right, here, here we go. What I liked. Almost 10 minutes of it, maybe eight. That's how long I was dazzled 
by the unique look of it. And isn't that what people rave about? I don't get it. What I disliked? Everything else, especially the three-hour and 12-minute runtime. Too long. As I've said before, if you're going to make a movie that's 95% CGI, just make a damn cartoon and call it a day. James Cameron is totally overrated, yet he's still treated like a golden boy in Hollywood. He's two steps up from Michael Bay. This is nothing more than a cartoon war movie and an uninteresting one at that. To think that there are three more of these coming makes me sick to my stomach because I know they'll be nominated for something and I'll have to suffer through them because of my self-imposed rules. Damn it. All right, number nine is Top Gun Maverick. And I can't say that without giggling a little because it's actually nominated for Best Picture. And it has six total nominations. Here we go. According to IMDb, 30 years later, Maverick is still pushing the envelope. Well, that envelope apparently contains 80% of the original script. So if you saw the first one, you've pretty much seen this one. I read that they shot over 800 hours of film for this noise. I wonder if that includes the 109 minutes of the original, because there's a little bit of that in it. I mean, literally. Flashbacks. Uh, What I liked, some excellent action sequences. I have to give him that. And I'll admit that it's really pretty cool that Cruz does all these crazy stunts himself, including flying the jet in this film. I absolutely hated the original and didn't hate this. So I guess that's something positive. Uh, What I disliked, there's no need for this sequel, reboot, whatever. Some of the callbacks to the original were unintentionally comical. And bringing back an actor who is currently in poor health and having him die in this movie is questionable at best. And for those of you that loved the beach volleyball sequence in the first one, there is a now there's a touch football sequence in in the reboot. And uh, what do they share? Well, they both have the guys wearing, like, jeans, like, tight jeans. So that's what you get for this Top Gun Maverick. Number eight on the list with six total Oscar nominations this year is Tar from IMDb. Set in the international world of Western classical music, the film centers on Lydia Tar, widely considered one of the greatest living composer-conductors and the very first female director of a major German orchestra. She's all of that, and she's also really hard to root for. What I liked, as always, Kate Blanchett. Amazing. And amazing. She's amazing in everything. She is top-notch. Lots of people, myself included, thought this was about a real person. I had to do some internet research, and it wasn't really that easy to come up with the final answer, which was, Lydia Tarr is a fictional character, but this seems like a total biopic, and Blanchett's performance makes Tarr seem like an actual person that she is portraying on film, so that is very good. What I disliked? The entire enterprise comes off as smug and pretentious at times. I don't like movies whose goal it is to make me feel stupid about something, and in this case, art. Uh, Tar's not really likable at any point in the film, and I've already made it clear how I feel about that. 
There's an extremely long scene done in one take that is, on one hand, impressive. And on the other hand, very boring to sit through. I thought I was done sitting through boring classes back in college. (laughs) Number seven, with eight total Oscar nominations this year, is Elvis. So making Elvis Presley the subject of a biopic seems close to impossible to get it right. Uh, Elvis is iconic. He's legendary, flawed, and extremely complicated. Uh, A difficult life to put on film. Director Baz Luhrmann does a very good job attempting to piece it all together. What I liked? Austin Butler's performance is very, very good. There were some points where I was convinced he was Elvis. Baz Luhrmann's movies are always visually satisfying. I loved some what he did with the on-screen graphics and the cuts. So this is fun to look at. What I disliked? Tom Hanks in the fat suit with the ambiguous accent as Colonel Tom Parker. This came close to ruining the entire movie for me. It's really the only reason it came in at number seven on this list. It was distracting to me in a totally negative way. No need to get Hanks for this at all. And pick an accent and stick to it, for God's sake. He was terrible. It's really the only time that I've ever said the following statement. I would have liked that movie a lot more if Tom Hanks wasn't in it. The accent at times reminds me of, did you see um, Austin Powers' gold member? Yeah, kind of like that. (laughs) All right, number six on the list. With 11 total Oscar nominations leading the pack this Oscar season is Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. And this is the most accurate title of these 10 films since at times you feel like you are watching everything, everywhere, all at once. It's chaotic, it's frenetic, it's disorienting, and it's very confusing at times. Fun to look at, though. What I liked? The film's originality and off-the-wall lunacy at times. A universe where everyone has hot dog fingers? Disturbing. Also fun was an almost unrecognizable Jamie Lee Curtis, dear friend of Cinema Wellman, uh, in a very non-Jamie Lee role. What I disliked? At times, it's just too much chaos. I realize that's part of the point, but it was a little too much for me at times. I really have to watch it again because I think I missed some important parts of the story, and I will watch it before the Academy Awards next month. Number five on the list, with seven total nominations, is Steven Spielberg's The Fablemans. And I understand that Spielberg's parents bugged him for a long time to put the family story on screen. I'm still not sure how much of a story it is, though. It's certainly nothing new as far as family dynamics and family secrets go. What I liked, it's sweetness. The fact that it's very much a love letter to cinema itself. The final shot was one of the best things I have ever seen. Uh, I read that this movie recreates the films made by Spielberg as a young man pretty accurately. He does admit that he improved them a little, which is very Spielberg. What I disliked? If almost everything is based on true facts and is close to 95% autobiographical, why not call it the Spielbergs? Just make it a biopic. I'd be more than fine with that. And also, the bullying storyline was overdone. I get it. He wasn't popular at his new school. 
but a lot of screen time was dedicated to it and nothing really comes out of it. And we've seen that storyline in a thousand movies. Added stuff like that results in 151 minute long films. Number four, with only two total Oscar nominations, is Women Talking. This is off the charts winner of the Bechdel Test Awards, and it's about time we get to watch Women Talking on film. Featuring an almost all-female cast, this film tells the story of a group of women facing an extremely difficult decision. From IMDb, do nothing, stay and fight, or leave. In 2010, the women of an isolated religious community grapple with reconciling a brutal reality with their faith. Well done, IMDb. What I liked? Sarah Polly. I've talked about her before on episodes. She's unbelievably talented, and I'm so happy that she's finally really being recognized for the filmmaker she is. The fact that it teeters on the line between color and black and white made for a unique film-going experience. This was a great decision by Polly and shows how the women live in a world that is present day, but still very much part of the past. What I disliked, not much really, but I'm not sure where the men were. Um, I didn't want them in the movie, but I was kind of confused that the women were able to do what they did in broad daylight without interference. The way that they were uh, controlled kind of doesn't lend itself to them doing what they did. But good for them in any case. I was totally rooting for them. Men are terrible in a lot of instances. Number three, uh, with nine total nominations, is a foreign film, All Quiet on the Western Front. IMDb tells us, a young German soldier's terrifying experiences and distress on the Western Front during World War I. What I liked. Even though this is the third version, at least, of this story, it gave it a fresh look. War's absolutely brutal, and this film hammers that point home. Being an American and, and very used to rooting against the Germans in pretty much every war movie in history, um, it was amazing to not even consider the countries and the ethnicities of the soldiers involved in the carnage I was watching on the screen. They weren't German soldiers. They were human beings put in a horrible situation that, unfortunately, hundreds of millions of young men have been put in since the advent of war. I think the source material does a great job getting this point across, which may explain why filmmakers continue to explore it. What I disliked? Nothing really. I could pick on it for being a remake, like I did for Top Gun Maverick, but it's too good to do that. Number two on the list, with three total Oscar nominations this year, Triangle of Sadness. Now, you know how much I love to quote IMDb and their synopses. Sometimes they do a wonderful job summing up what's in store for you if you decide to watch the film. At other times, I think they're purposely vague, since it's almost impossible to sum up some films. Here's what they say about Triangle of Sadness. A fashion model celebrity couple join an eventful cruise for the super rich. <laughs> That's it. That doesn't even come close to describing what you're about to witness in this ferociously wicked movie. What I liked, right off the bat, never seen anything like this before. 
Ruben Ostlin is a director to keep your eye on. He never makes regular movies. Uh, if you don't believe me, watch this and watch The Square. And he's also the guy who directed Force Majeure. And Force Majeure deserves an entire episode on its own. Dark comedies are sometimes difficult to navigate, and they aren't everybody's cup of tea because of that. This is savagely funny at times and, well, totally bananas at other times. What I disliked? One thing, one note. The vomit. (laughs) Seriously. It was difficult to watch. And I've read, I didn't time it at the time that I watched it, but I've read that the sequence is, is about 15 minutes long. But I understand why it was there. There's more vomit here than Mr. Creosote in Monty Python's The Meaning of Life. There's more vomit here than in the pie-eating scene in Stand By Me. I had to look away at times because I'm so vomit-squeamish, but I did find it pretty funny. Austin made his point. Oh, those poor actors and actresses. That scene must have been absolute hell to shoot. I wonder if anybody actually did throw up during the filming of that. I know I would have if I was on set. That leaves us one film, one left, with nine total Oscar nominations. We have The Banshees of Inisherin. The IMD synopsis is simple. The film is anything but. They say, two lifelong friends find themselves at an impasse when one abruptly ends their relationship with alarming consequences for both of them. Another dark comedy that will have you wondering if it's okay to laugh at some of the darkness. What I liked, Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson, who are real-life friends, are absolutely tremendous. The setting is lovely and inviting, and also desolate and alienating at the same time. Carrie Condon is wonderful as Farrell's sister, who's caught in the middle of what seems to be just a quarrel between friends. If you like this, you must see 2008's In Bruges. Same director, Martin McDonough, along with Farrell and Gleason. The chemistry with these three is very strong. I look forward to more from them. And remember that it's okay to laugh at the darkness. What I disliked? I'm not quite sure I totally understood it. And that's never been a problem for me, though. You, you can see a movie and that, that you like, even if you don't totally get it. I explained my interpretation to others who have seen it, and they told me, yeah, yeah, that's it. You got it. Um, so if you like it, you like it, and that's all that matters. Nobody's going to ask you to teach a class on it and explain it, hopefully. Well, that's a wrap. That's my two cents or more about this year's 10 Best Picture nominees. There's more Oscar stuff coming at you next month when I go through each category and let you know who I'd like to see take home the statue. Again, no predictions. That's crazy. No way you can accurately predict this lunacy. Amazingly, you can bet on it. I was on a sports book site the other day, and you can actually wager on the Academy Awards. Talk about a fool's errand. Join us next week for WWW3, our third episode of Which Was Worse. This one features two garbage movies attempting to take advantage of the latest installments of popular movie franchises. I will give you Jurassic Domination versus Top Gunner 
danger zone. I'm not making those up. I have a funny feeling I'm going to enjoy those more than Jurassic World Dominion and Top Gun Maverick. It's quite possible. (laughs) I hope you join me for that as I try to sort that out next week. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. And I will see you next week. And until then, take care.